Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. Yeah, give God some praise in his house. Amen, amen. Hey, wave to your neighbor and then you can have a seat. Say hello to those who are worshiping around you. Say hello to all those watching online, worshiping with us. Will y'all give some love to those who maybe aren't in the room but are worshiping with us? I'm telling you, I tell everybody, you don't need to do cardio. Just come to Venice Church because when the, I like it when we just worship real rowdy. And there's people that maybe think we're crazy. Um, heaven's going to be a shock to them because it's going to. The good news is you're worshiping heaven and not be out of breath like I am right now. Uh, go to your Bible, uh, 1 Samuel is where we're going to be once again today, and welcome to part four of a series that we are calling Win Within, that we have decided as we start 2021, this is going to be the year. Not the year that necessarily we lose all the weight or hit all the goals and that kind of stuff, but this is going to be the year, no matter what happens, we're not going to be our worst enemy, because we too, too, we too often are, Amen that we're, we're just acknowledging the reality that the greatest threat to the life that God has for us is not an external thing. That what's keeping us from seeing God unleash in our lives is not any person that we want to blame constantly. It's not that coworker, it's not the neighbor, it's not the family member, it's the one looking back in the mirror. And we believe that what Charles Spurgeon said, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, and I've read this quote every week of this series, and I will continue to do so. Charles Spurgeon said this, beware of no man more than of yourself. Because see, we carry our own worst enemies within us. That so often all the negative things that get unleashed in our lives are unleashed by us. Say amen if you've ever been a victim of self-sabotage that you know that there are weapons of self-destruction that you set off. And there's a person in the Bible, his name is King Saul. He was the first king of the nation of Israel, even though God never wanted Israel to have a king. See, Israel is God's chosen people. And I know that if, even if you haven't grown up in church, you've heard that saying. What it basically means is God had to choose a people group through which he would bring his son to the world. He had made a promise that he was gonna redeem the world. Jesus would come and he had to pick a group of people and going all the way back to a guy named Abraham, he had made a promise that through him, he would bring the Messiah. And God wanted his people to always be different. He didn't want them to be under the authority of anybody but himself. But there came a moment when the nation of Israel fell to the same trap that most of us fall into. We wanna be like everybody else. Isn't it funny that we wanna be different than everybody else, but yet we wanna have what everybody else has? That's a head scratcher, ain't it? It's strange. We want to be unique. We want to be different. But all we do is stare at Instagram and think, how can I be like them? And Saul is the one that God chooses. But very early on in Saul's reign, he makes mistakes. And when you're a leader and when you have that level of responsibility, the consequences of your mistakes are great. Come on. The consequences and the repercussions of our choices, they have a ripple effect. And Saul had this guy in his life named Samuel, a spiritual mentor, somebody that was the mouthpiece of God, a spiritual mature person in his life to give him wisdom. Do you have one of those? 
people that are in your life, and as we said a couple weeks ago, that are not there just to validate you, but to give you wisdom. The people that don't just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. The people that have better wisdom than to say, do you, boo? The people that will say, you know what, God's word says you follow your heart and it'll lead you in dangerous places. Let's follow his word instead of our hearts. Come on, somebody. And Saul just continues to make mistakes and has misstep after misstep. And God finally just says, Samuel, tell him it's over. That what I wanted to establish in and through him is not gonna happen. Because our consequences, our, our choices have consequences. And we're gonna talk about that at the end of the message. And it might be the hardest thing I've ever had to say to you. And so he says, go, Samuel, and choose another one. And we know the story. He chooses the youngest son of a guy named Jesse, David. We know David. David, and I will not do what I did last week because I don't want to become a meme. (laughs) Where David kills Goliath and becomes this mighty warrior. And the next thing you know, Saul becomes just consumed with envy. And we talked about how last week the enemy is one of perhaps the most dangerous weapons of self-destruction. Because envy, the Bible says, rots us at our core. It eats at our bones. And as David is doing all these amazing things and Saul is having to watch him step into what should have been his destiny, it just begins to eat away at him. So much so that he just doesn't want to watch it anymore. He would rather see David die then watch him become what he was supposed to be. That's some deep-rooted envy. When you're so envious of what those people are doing, you wish they didn't even exist. But throughout all this, Jonathan, Saul's son, has a different perspective on David. Because the reality is, as much as Saul seems to hate David, David stays loyal to Saul. He even ends up marrying one of Saul's daughters. So now, the one that you envy most is a part of your family. Some people can relate. You got that one. He's always been the favorite. Gets everything. But it just continues to consume him. And at every turn, like, envy turns into rage. And there's moments when they're just hanging out and Saul grabs his spear and just tosses it at David. Sounds like one of your family parties, huh? You ain't never had a fight at a family gathering, just me? And so he's convinced that he needs to kill David. But one t- at some point, Jonathan comes and he, he has a conversation with his dad. Because Jonathan can't understand it. Like, dad, why do you hate this guy so much? He is the most loyal of all the people that you rule over. His victories have advanced the cause of our kingdom time after time. Go with me, 1 Samuel chapter 19. Look at verse four. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, and his father said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant, David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory over all of Israel. And you saw it and were glad. 
Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Jonathan just can't understand it. And he goes to him and says, Dad, what's the deal? <laughs> David, look at what he's doing to advance the kingdom in which you rule. He was the one when none, none of the other soldiers that you believe are loyal to you would step out and face Goliath and cut off his head. David stood up. He stepped up. He has shown loyalty to you time after time. And what he has done out of loyalty to you has only advanced your kingdom. Why would you try to kill him? It's puzzling, isn't it? How you'd want to cut people out of your life that are actually the very people that have the potential to make it better. Anybody ever done that? Because see, that's what envy does. It, it causes you to start pushing people away. But I think what is start, starting to unfold is envy is starting to morph into something even more dangerous. Bitterness. And the reason why Saul can't see or have perspective on all the good things that David is doing is because Saul has got to the point where he's blinded by bitterness. Come on. See, all of us have blind spots in our life, right? Things that you, things that you either can't see or choose not to see about you. Come on, somebody testify. No, I'm perfect. Everybody tells me so. Bitterness takes blind spots and just expands them. See, the thing about envy that we talked about last week, if, if envy doesn't get settled, which is why what we talked about last week was so important, if you don't find contentment and you let envy stay, eventually bitterness will become the byproduct and bitterness will turn you into something you never thought you could be. Because bitter makes us morph into these people. Have you ever watched it happen? Somebody that you used to know that was so gentle and so kind and compassionate and patient. And then life began, and, and bitterness can be the byproduct of a lot of things. Bitterness can come from stuff that's been done to us. And some of us, that bitterness is the byproduct of things that we couldn't control. Somebody hurt us, somebody wronged us. And it was maybe even the very people that we were supposed to be able to trust the most. There are people that are sitting in this room or watching online that bitterness is the byproduct of abuse. And if it's never resolved, it starts to change you into somebody you didn't think you could be. And some of us, like, like Saul, it's not bitterness done to him, it's what seems to be being done for others. And you begin to get bitter. And then we're gonna learn a little bit, sometimes the bitterness is stuff that's done by us. But if bitterness takes root, that ugly side of you that you don't want anybody to know will come out. Come on. And it does in the life of Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. He's having this conversation 
with, da- with Jonathan once again after he's heard that Jonathan has done things to help David, to spare David's life. And I want you just to hear the way Saul speaks to his very own son. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. It's in the Bible. Y'all didn't know what I was going to say right then, did you? I'm just reading scripture. Y'all calm down. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will ever be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. He hears that Jonathan, his very own son, is helping David, and his bitterness can only cause him to see it as betrayal. Because when you get bitter, you see everything as an act of betrayal, because you start to believe that everybody's against you. Last week, we talked about how envy turned what should have been an ally into an enemy. Bitterness turns everyone into an enemy. When bitterness really takes root in our hearts, it it doesn't just distort how we see certain people, it distorts how we see all people. Because bitterness, bitterness builds walls. Bitterness builds walls. Because you start to, in bitterness, you start to believe they're against me, so they must be against me. He hurt me, so she's probably gonna hurt me too. And you get in this cycle, and that's where Saul finds himself. And to the point where he does, he starts making everybody an enemy. To the point where there is a priest and his family that help David, that give him shelter, look out for him. But as far as they know, they're just looking out for one of the king's most faithful servants. When David comes to them, he, that they know him as Israel's ally. He's the one that killed the giant after all. He's the one who's going, he's the, he's the son-in-law of the king. Why would we not help him? But when Saul hears about it, he doesn't see it that way. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 13. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Do you see, like Saul's losing it. He's convinced that David's out to get him. Verse 14, Amalek, this priest whose family had helped him, answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Verse 15. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. He's saying, of course I helped him. King, everything that I know of David's resume says he's your ally. He's your son-in-law. He's your chief of your bodyguard. Why would I not help him? Because to me, to help him is to help all of Israel and essentially to help you. And you would think Saul would see this. 
but he's blinded by bitterness. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Amelia, you and your whole family. And what happens next is Saul executes him and his entire family. I know what you're thinking, man. You're thinking like Saul is the most extreme version of this. Let's say that's true. I don't even wanna get close to that. Because bitterness will always lead you to kill something. Come on. It may not physically take another life, but bitterness will kill your future. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your relationships. Bitterness left unresolved will eventually cause the one who holds it to kill. And now you may never physically take another life, but the havoc that you will wreak if you hold on to bitterness will be devastating. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that you don't fall short of God's grace, which closes the gap of those wounds inflicted. If, if you don't use grace to fill that gap, bitterness will be what fills it. Because when we're wounded, it creates holes in our soul. Come on, am I making any sense? And, and life is gonna try to plant something in there. And if, if you don't allow God's grace to close and fill that gap, the most likely thing that's gonna set up root in there is bitterness. And the beauty of God's grace is he comes into those wounds and he heals them and he binds them and he sews them back together and makes you whole so that bitterness doesn't take root. Wow. But that's not what happens. And this again, uh, in Ephesians, Paul reminds us, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it all. Because if the bitterness le is left unchecked, it will turn you into who you never thought you could be. And there's some people in this room or watching online, like the wound is fresh. And maybe you feel like, I'm barely bitter. And it doesn't scare you yet. You look at the life of Saul and it seems so distant from where you are right now, you convinced yourself that you could never go there. Anybody ever in this room done things you thought you would never do? If you convince yourself that playing with bitterness, oh, I'm just barely bitter. And you're not doing the things that you need to do to let God begin to soothe and heal and let his grace fill those gaps. It's dangerous. And the first thing to, to dealing with bitterness is understanding the reason for its root. And now, I, we have these stories in scripture 
And so much of what we're trying to understand about these people is, is speculation. I, don't, I never met Saul. He lived way before me. So everything that I'm saying is, is just a guess. But based on what I know about me and what, about, what I know about people, can I just make some observations? And maybe it's gonna hit you right in the teeth. <laughs> See, the question is, okay, does the bitterness stem from resentment because of their success? Is that bitterness more rooted in resentment over David's success? Is that the real source of his bitterness? That he has watched this, and it really is, you, if you walked it back, you could trace it to envy over all that David accomplished. It's possible. Bitterness can begin there. But what if the real source of his bitterness is less about resentment over David's success and more about shame over his own failure? What if it's less about resentment over David's success and more about shame over his own failure? He was gonna be king. And if he had gotten it right, he would have set his family up for generations. If he had not fallen victim to self-sabotage, if he had not let these weapons of self-destruction get him, if he'd have just been patient that day and waited for Samuel and not made that sacrifice and tried to make matters in his own hands, if he wouldn't have thought his good intentions would give him permission to ignore God's instructions and just sacrificed everything that he told him, would this kingdom that he had been handed not been ripped from him? And when you know that you're the reason the future you wanted isn't gonna happen, that's hard. When you know I don't have anybody to blame but myself. You start to wage an inward war. Am I making sense? Come on. Maybe he, maybe, maybe he wasn't blind after all. Maybe David was just, was just a good scapegoat. When you know, like, it's my fault. I'm the one that ruined our marriage. I'm the reason why I don't have a relationship with my son. It's my poor choices that led us to bankruptcy. That does something to you. And it can make you bitter. Because see, there's a reality that we have to wrestle with. Our choices have consequences. And there are times that we do things and the consequences are severe. And, and even forgiveness from God will not give us an escape or erase those consequences. Come on. I'm not talking about your eternity. I'm not talking about forgiveness and salvation and you get to go to heaven. But sometimes God says, yes, I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna give you my grace. I'm gonna make you whole and you get to be with me eternity. But your preferred future is no longer possible. I understand the tension in that. Because I know that we serve a God of endless possibility and a God of second chances, but I can point to scripture after scripture where people disqualified themselves from what they once were able to have. 
It doesn't mean they don't have a future. It means the one they wanted ain't going to happen. And here's the thing. Everybody look at me. It's hard to take hold of what God has for you if you won't let go of what he's taken from you. My whole body just goes numb when I say that. It's hard to take hold of what God has for you if you won't let go of what he's taken from you. And maybe the real reason why Saul is so bitter is because he's holding on to something that's no longer possible. You know why I believe that? Did you hear what he said to, to Jonathan in that first conversation I read? He says, Jonathan, don't you understand? We gotta kill him because if we don't kill him, the kingdom that you're supposed to have is never gonna happen. That says to me there's something in Saul that's still clinging to something God's already taken. And if you cling to what was, you can't take hold of what is and you just might miss out on what could be. What will you do when your preferred future is no longer possible. And here's the beauty about our God. Saul's future was gonna be different. And I think I've said this a lot lately. Saul's future was gonna be different, but it didn't mean it wasn't gonna be good. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's not gonna be good. Just because the way your life is gonna turn out moving forward isn't what you thought it would be doesn't mean it can't be good. And there's times I've wrestled with saying this all. There's times when you gotta let that dream die so that you can grieve over it, heal, and move forward. But if you don't let it die, if you're still chasing something that God has clearly said is never gonna be, it will exhaust you. And I think there's some of us, we made a mistake. And now God's saying, that thing, it's not gonna happen now. But there's something new I wanna give you. But for you to take hold of this, you gotta let go of that. One more thing. And maybe the reason why we have a hard time doing that is because, because we squandered that, we don't think we deserve anything new. Maybe that shame has said, no, I'm gonna keep holding on to this because if I take hold of that, I'll just screw it up too because that's what I do. I've ruined everything my whole life. So I'm scared to take hold of that because everything that God has ever put in my hands, I've messed up. And maybe today's the day for you to finally wrestle with that shame that's breeding bitterness in your life, turning you into somebody that you don't have to be. 
to let go of what was, that you might take hold of what could be. And trust the beauty of his grace. And I, I keep thinking, what if Saul, what if Saul would have just allowed that to happen? What if Saul could have just come to terms with, no, I've, yeah, I've messed up, and no, I'm not gonna have the future I once thought, but here I have an opportunity. What if he would have saw David instead of an enemy as an opportunity? I get to invest in this young man so he doesn't make the same mistakes that I make. I get to watch him grow up and become, see, become who I couldn't be. And watch him step into his destiny. The Bible says, if you read in Samuel, that all of day, day, Saul's days were full of bitter war because bitterness had set up root in his life. And the thing about God's grace is sometimes God's grace doesn't put what was back on the table. It puts something new. James 4 He gives us more grace. Just stop right there. Just let those few words. But he gives us more grace. More grace than your mistake. More grace than your shame. More grace than your failure. More grace than your, sh- more. Somebody say more. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. At any turn, Saul had the opportunity to do just that. And in doing that, no, I don't think God was gonna change his mind and give him the kingdom back. But he could have stepped into something new that could have brought him joy in new ways if he'd have just believed it's possible. And I think there are so many people that are living in that same space as Saul. We're not bitter over what they did. And we're not bitter over what's been done to us or what's been done for them. We're bitter over what's been done by us because we've made those same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And the enemy just piled shame like an avalanche over your soul to the point where it buried you in bitterness to the point you believed that you had no future at all. And you just couldn't let go. And today God's saying, let go of that so you can take hold of this. That your future isn't going to look like you once thought it would, but you still have one. There is still something for you. You know how I know? You're still alive. You still have breath in your lungs. You woke up today and you're going to wake up tomorrow. So let go. That you can take hold. So you take a moment, you bow your heads, close your eyes, and can we just spend some time 
more time than we usually do just trying to absorb all this. This, this series is awful. It's killing me. Because what it's saying to me is so real and so, and it's one of those things that it's awful, it's awful coming in, but what it unleashes could be so beautiful. Is the enemy trying to leverage bitterness in your life to bury you under it? Those people who say, oh, oh, man, I'm I'm just barely bitter, I'm good. Barely bitter doesn't stay barely bitter. Or maybe there's people in the room that you've been white knuckling the past for so long that it's caused you to ignore a God who's standing beside you and say, I've got something new for you. I wanna give you this, but for me to give you this, you gotta let go of that. I wanna give you this, but first you're gonna have to let go of that. So God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice whether it be in this room or watching with us online. And this message has hit them from the giddy up. And there are things that are being waged in their hearts right now. And the enemy's trying to convince them to not respond because what will happen next scares him to death for every person buried by bitterness, for every person living under avalanche of shame, God, I pray that they would see the power and beauty of your grace that won't necessarily restore or revive that dream, but will open up the potential and the opportunity for a new one. And Lord, I pray that right now, healing would begin. It won't happen in a moment. It won't happen in an instant. But today is the first step towards reconciliation and restoration in them so they can start moving to a new future. One that will bring them hope and joy. And yes, it may look different, but God, it's from you, so it will have to be good. So do work, Lord. Holy Spirit, move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.